17, come in. Go ahead, truck 17. Primary complete. Command topics, primary complete. What's up, folks? And welcome to another episode of Primary Complete. Before we kick off the show, do us a quick favor. Like and subscribe. At the end of the show, if you enjoyed it, leave a quick comment. These simple little things make our platform more visible to folks who are looking for the type of show that we produce. For all of you who are constantly interacting with us on social media, talking about the show in your firehouses and with your friends, we can't say thank you enough for helping us build this awesome community. If you haven't yet, check out the social media. Search Primary Complete Podcast on Insta, Facebook, TikTok. Give it a quick like. We also got a website. Feel free to check that out. www.primarycompletepodcast.com Thank you all once again. Enjoy the next episode and continue to help us make conversation great again. Before we kick off this next episode, we wanted to take the opportunity to give you a little bit of background, but also a little bit of our own kind of perception of what we thought about this episode. These two characters, these two guests that we had on, they're they're pretty neck deep in some scary, but... Uh, in, very informative stuff. Uh, yeah, important stuff. Very important stuff, correct. So we just kind of wanted to give you all a little bit of um, kind of insight about what we thought of the episode before we before we let you all hear for yourselves. So what, do you, what, what, what did you think, Steve? And we got an hour coming up with Brian Goodman and Charlene Beach. Uh, it's ESHA, E-S-S-H-A, Emergency Services Safety and Health Alliance. They're doing great work. They're fun to talk to. Um, it's, it's a lot of details, a lot of stuff to swallow. There's parts in the show that I'm, I don't even know what to say next. I'm right. just trying to process, but there's ways to find the data that you need to know. And these, these guys, they want to do fireman stuff, but right now they're doing the down and dirty in the trenches, finding out the information that we want to know, even though we don't want to know. So this is going to be good. Yeah, I agree. Um, We'll thank them at the end, as always, but uh, we'll say thank you again in the intro. Uh, Brian, we appreciate y'all's time. We appreciate y'all spending time with us and uh, kind of s- helping us help you with your research, I guess you could say, by just making it a little bit more public and a little bit easier to find. Uh, same with you, Miss uh, Beach. We appreciate your time as well. Thank y'all for joining us. Yeah, enjoy an hour with Brian and Charlene. You have <laughs> some information that we have been dying to know. Like we've once this stuff kind of hit um, and started getting rumblings and started getting talked about, we wanted to know. And then when Hoffman said he found you, I was like, this is going to be amazing. We've been itching, wanting to have this conversation. Um, so it's Brian and Charlene from Emergency Services Safety and Health Alliance. Is that is that all correct? That is all correct. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Nice. So I guess you had to create the alliance to uh, basically have an umbrella to do all the research under? Is that how that worked? Yeah, so one of the issues that we kind of ran into initially when we were doing this stuff is oftentimes departments in the area, they they feel a certain way about having a couple of their officers out in the interwebs bringing in a bunch of research and um, sometimes that research is really good and sometimes that research is really bad. So to kind of remove ourselves from ever putting any department's name out there in the interwebs in a negative light, we created a nonprofit 
that would allow us to continue our research and put that information out there unbiasedly, positive or negative. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, a nonprofit is a great way to kind of keep that, keep it separate. Uh, we ran into uh, an idea kind of early on in this, that it was, if you're, if you're going to have a conversation or somebody's coming to you with a conversation, the first thing that gets asked is who are you? So uh, it kind of makes sense that you would have a, like a title for everything to be together and kind of keep it organized. Uh, yeah. That. Yeah. Let's chat about the, you said the research and whatnot that you're doing. What is it that you're doing research on? Sure. So we, we focus really on four main areas. We focus on water quality and we focus on uh, the full 1971 ensemble for turnout gear. We focus on station wear and we've branched out into kind of like two, I would say, well, at least one subcategory of that. And that would be uh, male and female fertility, as well as different exotic chemical compounds that we end up finding not only in combustion, but also in some of the stuff that we're wearing. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's been a long road. What we ended up doing is we ended up testing uh, water from uh, a lot of the sites in Hampton Roads and uh, in central Virginia. And we're going to continue to get water samples. Once we get out of like well water and city water type stuff, we're going to turn our attention into lakes, rivers, streams, etc., and test those for chemical compounds and certainly PFAS. And as far as our gear and station wear testing, what we ended up doing, it was just one of those things um, that you hear as a rookie and you probably never truly digest it and you just kind of go about your day. Well, I was probably the exception to that, right? You know, when we, when we come into the department and we're assigned a mentor, a lot of us hear all different types of things about what we should and shouldn't be doing as a new guy. Well, my mentor, uh, extremely bright, very forward thinking, said, you know, save all your documentation from your turnout gear, know that information inside and out, and if you have the ability, save at least one sample of whatever it is that you can save with permission throughout your career. So that's what I did. I ended up saving one sample of 1971 turnout gear and one sample of every single piece of clothing that we've ever been given. And it ended up being about 17 years of examples. And that's what we ended up testing. And then we reached out nationally to, uh, you know, our partners and some of the relationships that uh, Charlene and I have built over <clears throat> our careers. And we ended up getting samples from them as well. So we took that big pool of samples and turnout gear and station wear, and we ended up sending it in for testing. And um, our preliminary results right now that we have received are, are pretty shocking. We're, we're noticing very exotic compounds that I think truly neither one of us really ever expected on seeing. Mm-hmm. Like what? Well, I, I can tell you that one of the things that we've noticed um, 
and I feel confident to be able to share this, is probably about 95% of everything that we've tested has had some level of PFAS in it. Okay. PFAS was a big talk and a big uh, big conversation at the recent IFF uh, National Convention, which was in Vegas. We had several folks from our little department that went from our local, um, and, you know, they came back with this. What to them is this new information, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I've talked with you in the past, and I've, you know, kind of been on, I wouldn't even say the fringes, to be honest with you, but, you know, we, we've known about PFAS. In your words, what, what is PFAS itself? What, what is this chemical? You know, what is its job? What is, its, what is it supposed to be doing instead of hurting us? Sure. So it was actually developed uh, prior to World War II, probably in conjunction with World War II. And it is a fluorine-based compound. Um, the scientific title is, you know, per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. And according to the EPA's CompTOX database, there's about 14,000 of them and counting. Uh, when I first started looking at this stuff and really diving into the research, in grad school, we had, I think we were at like 8,000 and some change. So over the course of two or three years, this thing is, has, has really gone up in the amount of chemicals that they are now grouping into this, right? And, and some of the most common that we know is PFOS and, uh, you know, there's PFHXS and PFOA and you have, uh, huh? Yeah, you have uh, PFTE, which is Teflon, which is directly affects us. And these chemicals, their only job is water repellency um, to keep oils off of us, to keep uh, biological fluids off of us. Um, the reason why it's in our gear is there. So in the manufacturing process of gear, there's really two areas, three areas that this can really be applied. First, it's it's either in it automatically, which means that it's part of the manufacturing process. So when they're weaving these fabrics, it's being applied to the fabric itself, okay? The other part is the moisture barrier, which we know is like 30% PFAS by weight, which is astronomical. And, and, that, and that what it, that is is PFTE. So it's, it's literally a Teflon film like you know, Teflon plumber's tape. It probably has the thickness of Teflon plumber's tape, but it's acting in our gear as a moisture barrier. And the other one is a final application where the garment is made. It is going to the final processing of the manufacturing, and it is being sprayed directly with this coating so that, you know, oil, gasoline, diesel fluid, uh, fuel, um, anything you can think water, of. Water, anything that you can think of, biological, that stuff repels a lot easier. So when it hits uh, the extractor washers, if, you're, if your departments out there are, are lucky enough to have them, it, it removes them easily. The problem with that is certainly in the realm of, of PFAS-laden firefighting foam, what we're finding is even after this stuff goes through the extractor washer, that we can still measure it in high quantities. Gotcha. So it sounds like the purpose behind it is good. Like they're they're trying to help us um, not have the bodily fluids, not have the oils and stuff. Um, when did it become that 
that we started to know that though the intention was good, the health effects maybe not so much. Like when when did that come about? Well, that's that answer comes in two parts. When did the corporations know our research um, in conjunction with the environmental working group, they actually have a, uh, a website dedicated to this alone where it kind of breaks down who knew what at what decade, right? And we've been able to trace back really negative effects with this stuff all the way back to the 70s, 80s, 90s. The C8 study that the federal government put on happened in 2005. So did the public know? No, the public had no idea. None of us had any idea. However, one could argue that some of our chemical companies, corporations, certainly the federal government in 2005, they all knew that there was a possibility that there are major health implications along with these chemicals. And unfortunately, we've gotten to the head where now all this stuff is coming out and there hasn't really been a whole lot done to it. What are some of the what are some of the health effects that we're seeing? The negative health effects that you're seeing in in some of your studies? Uh, certainly, cancer. Um, it's now the leading cause of line of duty deaths. Which is which is what Captain said. It's now the leading cause of line of duty deaths for us. Uh, and you know that. I mean, if you if you take all the leading cancers in the fire service, there's a high probability that. And again, I'm just saying this statistically, it seems like they are correlating with the cancers associated with PFAS. Um, take that for what you will. I'm not saying it's so <clears throat> with medicine and certainly statistics, it's super hard to say that substance A caused condition B. Sure. However, if we're it sitting here matter. logically as firefighters, um, you know, if, it, if it, it's one of those things where if it walks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's probably a duck right yeah 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 so when we're looking at this statistically they seem to correlate Man. um yeah. yeah male female fertility um ovarian cancer kidney cancer testicular cancer brain cancer uh one correlation that we do know for a fact is your alts and sat or asts uh, your liver enzymes, they are All they are place. up big time, and that has been directly related to PFAS. Mm. Uh, I'm being kind of quiet right now. I'm, I'm processing this information. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are some of the cancers that uh, probably the pre- reproductive uh, yeah. um, parts and pieces, but what are some of the other cancers? That seem to be, um, like you said, you can't, it's so hard to draw a direct line, but what are some of the cancers that uh, we're starting to feel like might be tied? Oh, so prostate, um, testicular. Um, I think they're actually looking at prostate, testicular, liver, kidney, and possibly ovarian, ovarian with the MDL that's taking place right now in South Carolina. Um, and then the non Hodgkin's lymphoma is a big one. Yeah, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma across the board, your lymphomas across the board. All uh, of your blood cancers. Yeah, the, I don't know if you heard uh, what Captain said. The, the majority of your blood cancers, we're hmm. seeing a lot of brain, and um, one can only speculate that this list, unfortunately, is going to continue to grow 
as our exposure continues to elevate. And there are some things that we can do um, to help ourselves as firefighters with this exposure stuff. You know, we we talk about the simple things and the, and the small things adding up to make a big difference. First and foremost, the one thing that that I always tell people, I certainly do with my crew. Mm -hmm. I know Captain does with her crew. But the one thing that we can absolutely do is an exposure report every single shift out the gate. Because what that does for us, God forbid anything happens, it creates a paper trail that we had an exposure every single day. And it doesn't matter to your listeners, it doesn't matter if this is diesel fuel, it doesn't matter if we're putting on our uniform, it doesn't matter if we put our turnout gear on once. The minute we walk into a station, in my mind, is an automatic exposure. And we're not doing this to be over the top. We're doing this because... It's the only way to protect ourselves. It is the only way to protect ourselves, and that is with paperwork. Some of the smaller things that we can do are, are, are simple. Like, we know that Teflon pans are bad, right? Throw out your Teflon pans. I'm sure every fire station in the country has cast iron. Cook with your cast iron. Cook with your stainless steel. Throw out your Teflon. You know, they did a study. I forget where it was. It, it, could, have been, it could have been down your way at East Carolina with Dr. Jamie DeWitt. But there was a study done that showed at what temperature PFTE causes problems. And I believe she had, in some of her stuff that she sent me, it was like 500 degrees Fahrenheit. PFTE was killing birds. Like the, the exhaust or the off-gassing from that pan being heated up on a stovetop was killing birds. So if we're thinking about that, Wow. Our stovetop, certainly if we're frying something, and we're frying something, you know, it's just like every firefighter. We put that thing on high, we put a little bit of oil in it, and we drop in some potatoes, right? Well, that's probably not a good thing to do if we're doing it in yeah. Teflon pans. 800 degrees or hotter. <laughs> the other thing, go ahead. I just have <laughs> I have so many questions. Uh, and I'm just trying to articulate everything that's going on in my brain to where it can somewhat make some sense. Um, I want this all to be so untrue and just kind of a myth because I'm a fireman or firefighters just like I am. I love my turnout gear. Mm -hmm. I love it with my whole soul. I mean, it is uh, my turnout gear to me is what a Marine's rifle is to him. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's uh I mean, it's the Tommy Gavin from Rescue Me mentality where you walk into the firehouse first thing in the morning and you put your bunker pants on and you don't take them off all day, you know, until you go home. And I think there's even <laughs> I think there's even Rescue Me episodes where he wears them to his house. So, I mean, it's it's just something very near and dear to probably most of us, if not all of us. And like I said, I just I, I want all this to be not true, but you can't you can't you can't doubt the research that's going into it and the time and the effort. And I'm sure the money that is being put into this when cancer became kind of the forefront, which has been what, probably five or six years now, 10 years, maybe uh, since cancer just really started to kind of hit that our little atmosphere in the firefighter world. Do you think we kind of missed it with carcinogens or it was just a low hanging fruit or is that a contributor as well? And now the more time is, put into the fight against cancer, 
we're finding out more? I th- I think I think it is. If you want my honest opinion, I think that um, it is all of the above. I don't think that anything is is more detrimental to the human body than the next thing. I think that um, I think that the fire service is is transitioning into. Um, certainly a field of specialty. And I think that a part of what we do is we have, we have to come in contact with the methyl ethyls, right? The really bad things. And I just think that it's been an evolution and um, certainly uh, we've gained knowledge over the course of time and we have become diversified as a, as a fire service where we're getting, you know, we're getting a lot of, uh, college people and and people that have different backgrounds from all sorts of fields and sectors and different eyes are coming in and looking at these things and they're saying well you know this might be bad and the more research that we do the more we find out the more we can become better in the future for sure i don't i don't want to interrupt you by any means but i lost your video feed i still got you on audio but i have i lost your video feed. i don't know if your computer maybe went to sleep or something like that no, we're we're on. I can see you guys. I don't. And I can maybe see all the, uh, maybe the internet uh, won't support the feed, but it's still recording on their side. Right? Yes, it's definitely still yeah. recording. Uh, I have a couple of questions about the cancer side. Um, we'll make a note about the second one so my poor brain doesn't leave me hanging. Uh, the first one, uh, we were taught. I was taught in my academy, uh, like the leading they didn't have science yet but they were like wash your hood um because you your hood gets dirty and it's up against your neck and then you lay it down on your bunker pants uh in prep for the next call right and the uh the leading theory at the time was um the part where you're laying it on your pants then it's contacting your body and then when you put it on your head now it's all around your neck and they thought that the the carcinogenic uh, particles from the homes that were on fire were contacting our neck and then getting on our bunker pants in special places, and that's what was causing these cancers. Um, Is there, are you saying that um, it's in addition to that, it's also the, uh, the chemicals in the gear, or are we starting to think that it's less the house that was on fire and more the chemical that was in the gear? It's definitely a combination. Yeah. It's definitely a combination of both. Okay. You know, as soon as that came about, that's when I would, as soon as we discovered that that was part of an issue and we were having issues and a lot of other departments were having issues with finding prostate cancer, testicular cancer. The first thing I did is told all of my group, get your hood out of, out of your pants, you know, right. start washing your gear more. And that's, that's the biggest thing. Cause everybody thinks it's cool to walk around with dirty gear. Cause Hey, look, I just, I did all these jobs. Look at me. I'm cool. And right. that's still a hard culture to fight. You know, the minute I smell somebody's gear, it looks terrible. I'm like, go wash it. Get off the truck. Go wash your gear. You can get back on <laughs> once it's clean. Yeah. yeah, I do think that's starting to change, at least around here. Um, mm-hmm. So the second part of that question, um, you know how uh, firemen are. Like, <coughs> right now, if you kind of pay attention to social media and random conversations, you're split into two groups. Some people think the uh, PFAS is 
kind of like Hoffman will say, like the new shiny penny. So it's this thing that is a talking point, but it will go away. It's not a big deal. And then the other side are concerned and want to know, like, what's the data? What, what, what can I look at? What can I read through and show? How far away are we from being able to, like, have you been able to put out something that we can read through? Or is that coming soon? So, yeah, to answer that question, there there is data available. And um, we certainly, I think Charlene and I have been in this, we're over four years now. Mm-hmm. So there there is data. Um, and, to, and to the people that, you know, new shiny penny, this and that, um, we respect that. Certainly, we at one time... Um, we're in that category, but it's it's one of those things like the more you know, the more you look into this stuff, the more you go to what we consider um, reputable sources, uh, our academic institutions, um, universities, nonprofits, that <clears throat> this is what they do, and we start reviewing some of this stuff, and then you know, we're, we're able to, to form our own opinions. And what we like to refer to these sort of things as is emerging threats. And that's, and that's literally what we term this as emerging threats to the fire service. You're absolutely right. Right now it's PFAS. Our hope is that PFAS is not going to be in the threat or emerging threat category. It is going to be uh, something that we've learned from, that we adjusted, that we fixed, and that we moved on from. And we would like to be able to um, divert our attention to the next emerging threat to try to cut that off a little bit better. The data for your viewers, if they want to look at this stuff, all that you have to do is Google Dr. Graham Peasley PFAS, and you will come up with a whole bunch of stuff. I, I talked a little bit about Jamie DeWitt at East Carolina University. She is at the forefront of this. She's actually a toxicologist. Dr. Easley at the University of Georgia is is working as hard as anybody in the country to try to solve the the effects of PFAS in these in these methyl ethyls on on the male reproductive system. And uh, Arizona University is working as hard as anybody in the country to try to solve the female reproductive issues as well as breast cancer. And then of course. The, the T.H. Chan School at Harvard has been in this with Notre Dame from the very beginning. And they have, they have put out quite a lot of studies for the fire service specifically. One was a, a PFAS dust study that they actually went into uh, Boston Fire, into the stations, and they took dust samples, and they found that the levels of PFAS in the dust were, were very elevated. Through the roof. The, through the roof, uh, really. And then they turned around and they did a, a, like a contamination study with uh, like fluorescence and stuff like that to where they actually tracked it. And the highest amount of PFAS dust was actually in the turnout gear lockers. And you could just see it, you know, going throughout the station from that point just due to cross-contamination. Right. So uh, if I were to uh, jump on Google right now and, and Google like that last one, uh, Harvard, Boston, dust study um like would that be some keywords or now it'll come up and if you have any issues with that stuff we we keep that on our on our uh our nonprofit drive so if there's any 
thing that you need documentation-wise, just give us a heads up, man. We'll send it to you. You think it stopped? Uh, if you can still hear us, hold up just a second. Did we lose you? Um, your feed, everything, Paul. You froze. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. we're back. We're back. Sorry. Um, uh, back up, up like 15 seconds. Yeah. We were at the uh, part where um, I had asked if, if you could Google the Harvard, uh, those keywords, and then you were saying on your nonprofit site, um, you have, and then it ended. Yep. Yeah, on our nonprofit site, we have a drive where we store the latest research that's coming out of the, out of our universities and our partners. And if you need any of that stuff, if you can't find it with the Google search, just just send us a text, let us know, and we'll make sure that you get the documentation that you need. Yeah. Is there a um, out of all those doctors that you just mentioned? <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, is there one that is kind of spearheading the firefighter side of things, not necessarily the industrial side and that sort of thing, but firefighter specific. Yeah. I don't think that uh, we would certainly be where we're at with our research. If it wasn't for the partnership and the help that we've had across the country, but specifically um, Dr. Graham Peasley at Notre Dame has been nothing short of a confidant mentor um, he's, he's been absolutely fabulous and instrumental in all of instrumental in all this and cares tremendously about the fire service. And we cannot thank Dr. Graham Peasley enough. And I would be remit remiss if I didn't mention Diane Cotter and her initial research in the firefighting gear. Diane, um, has kind of coached us and also mentored us. And, and helped us along the way with our spearheading of information. And I don't know if, if you are aware, but she has a documentary coming out, and it's called Burned, B-U-R-N-E-D. And um, I'd like to give her a shout-out because, I mean, she's, she's helped and guide both Charlene and I this entire time. So those are really the two absolutely instrumental people in ESHA's uh, foundation has and fight has been Diane Cotter and Dr. Graham Peasley. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that documentary. They, that's one of the things they talked about at the uh, IFF convention. Uh, was yeah. was that um, that documentary? It's, it's not. I don't think it's out yet for public view, but it's it's coming soon. It is. I have a, I have a question about uh, the turnout gear. How do we know how far how far back do we have to go before? PFAS and chemicals like that were in the gear, and is there, what's the hope of getting it out of the gear fast? That makes sense. So I can answer that. Um, We've done a lot of research and dove a lot into 1971, NFPA 1971, and we kind of know a lot about the background of how this all started. Um, A lot of it is, is pretty um, disheartening. I, I, I think that it, it's certainly uh, some people would have issues, but I, I will say that what we know for a fact is that it probably wasn't in the turnout gear in the 90s. Okay, Our moisture barrier was made out of something completely different, and that was like a polyethylene or a polyurethane type barrier. Okay? 
And in the early 2000s, we know that there was a study. We know that there was a study conducted at the University of Kentucky. And we know that after the study was conducted, that PFTE or Teflon became our new moisture barrier. And that was, I believe, in 2000 or 2001. Okay? And after that, um, we know statistically that our cancer rates have risen pretty high. Yeah, sir. Hey, your uh, your mic. Can you slide it a little bit further away from that fan, like you did before? It um, it's picking up like a good ambient noise. Yeah, but I don't I don't know that it's going to come out in the recording. Yeah, it's just like that. the wonderful world of the internet. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so uh, that's a long time ago that our gear has been uh, made that way. Um, it seems like in in casual conversations about this stuff with like logistics divisions. Um, there's not a whole lot of hope for finding gear that doesn't have it in it. Um, what needs to happen? What What's the next step to get it to where we can have gear that's pre-2000 or whatever the next new thing is, but how can we not have gear that causes cancer? So that is that is certainly something that, that we've been working on. I don't know if... If you or your listeners are aware, but right now, 1971 and I believe 1975, and there may be a couple other ones in there that I I just can't think of off the top of my head, the NFPA is going to transition to a new standard called NFPA 1970 that's going to include the the lot, okay? And there was – that came out for public comment um, maybe a month or two ago. The public comment has ended – um, ESHA's view on NFPA 1970 is we do not like it because it consolidates power for the companies, right? It, a company can send an, an NFPA rep to 70, and they can send one to 70 or 71, and they can send one to 75, and they can send one to the, the SCBA uh, standard and, and the Wildland standard and 99, which I believe is EMS. They can send reps to all those, but if you consolidate into one standard, that means you only have to have one rep. Theoretically, your power increases per vote. So our viewpoint on NFPA 1970 is we don't like it. Um, there has been some talk outside of the the NFPA scene that people, certainly in the scientific field, were going to try to push to get that polyurethane liner back because technology has increased. I don't know if you or your listeners are aware of the testing that happened in the 2000s to put PFTE as our moisture barrier, but the test, it was a a master's level test and certainly a master's level paper, and it was done with direct UV light on moisture barriers and they wanted to see the degradation over the time, I believe, in weeks. Well, here's the thing with that. It's already a fundamentally flawed test because our moisture barrier should never hit UV light directly at all. If it does, my hope is across the country that gear would be taken out of service. Yeah, I'm an so, idiot. I know that the moisture barrier is hidden in the middle. Like, Yeah, yeah not- I mean, you would have to have a gaping hole in the outer shell of your turnout gear for that thing to be hit with direct UV light. So, I mean, it's a fundamentally flawed test. We can theorize why that happened, but 
fact is, is it's there, and we know that technology has propelled forward enough to where we don't need it there. Yeah, it feels like that. Um, I think it's public knowledge now, but you know, uh, years ago, the people in the sugar industry uh, paid the scientists to say that fat was the problem, and the people in that industry paid scientists to say that no, no, it's the sugar. Like, is that what we're dealing with? Is just the that's exactly what we're dealing. With. That's it. So actually, and again, I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to mention who, what, where, or how, but right. there is a company that is in the fire service industry that paid for that test to happen at the University of Kentucky. They actually built the building that it occurred in and then funded the research. And then after that is how we got. And again, we're not going to mention That's any so- names, It's, but you can yeah, look I'm it up you. if you really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably just the owner of the patent for the stuff that gives us cancer or that that new product whatever that part's dirty and i don't like it it does need a light shined on it but on the street we just need to know how to protect ourselves so i'm going to go into shift tomorrow um the filling out an exposure report i see the value in that um i have i have like this automatic weird rejection feeling i hate i hate paper and having to do reports and i apologize for that i understand like your purpose behind it well i can uh, help you get around that so okay yeah so it, uh the university of miami puts on a firefighter cancer symposium every year and um they presented on an app that you can actually download it's free it's n-f-o-r-s first and you can do an exposure report and track it for yourself Okay. You said that was M-O-F-R-S? N. Yeah. N. Yeah, like National Fire. Okay. Yeah, N as in Nevada, and then F as in Foxtrot, and then O-R-S. So, um, so on the street level, uh, aside from tracking, um, is there any action that I can take? Um, like you said, the particulate is in my locker, most likely. So mm-hmm. I can clean my gear locker or is that just making, is that making it worse? Like, is it like this mold that I can't touch to clean it or is cleaning it a good idea? Uh, what, what actions can I take to make my life longer? So the, the first thing that we like to tell people is if you can um, really scrub your trucks. Okay. You have a cross contamination there. Inside and out. Inside and out. Um, we're not, you know, we, we all have truck days, right? Cab days, exterior days, which are every days. But we clean and clean and clean our trucks. I don't know if if you have departments down there that are, that are clean cab. We are not up here. Uh, we do not have clean cab. Um, some probably in the northern part of the state do. We do not in the southern part. So... We clean the inside and the out of our trucks. We clean our lockers inside and out. And we can do this stuff with scrubbing bubbles. Like, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate. The point is, it's just to clean. It can be Dawn dish soap and a towel. Anything to wipe down and get rid of it. The other thing is, is don't wear your gear unless you have to, right? If we know it's bad, and granted, you're going to do training evolutions that are going to require gear. We understand that. But... 
you don't need to wear it into the grocery store. You know, you don't need to wear it to work out, which is probably one of the worst things that you can do, believe it or not, simply due to the fact that, you know, for every one degree Celsius, um, your, your, your body temperature increases, your absorption rate increases by 400 times, right? So we're not trying to work out in our gear and absorb all the methyl ethyls, the PFAS and the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we can do is take showers after we have jobs, right? If you're putting on your turnout gear, I'm not saying to to uh, you know take a shower every time you run a fire alarm, but what I am saying is if you end up you know if it's if it's a North Carolina or Virginia summer and you're putting your turnout gear on and you're sweating, you're sweating. your tail off out on the interstate or something, you should probably shower when you get back, right? You should probably shower after every job. You should probably do gross decontamination, get sprayed with a hose after every working job that you got. It's just these little things that wash your hands, wipe your neck, wash your hands, wipe your neck, use wipes, baby wipes. I mean, it's it's these little things, and even though that they're little, little things add up to big things, right? It, you know, it's like the the O2X. You know, try to be one percent better every day. We're not looking for a massive change, right? But small increment changes ultimately lead to a little bit healthier lifestyle, healthier firefighters, and maybe some bigger changes down the road. Yeah, progress, not perfection. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is there any type of is there any type of undergarment or something like that that we can wear to kind of protect, uh, you know, to help aid in this? Do we all need to walk around in trash bags? Uh, you know, make our own moisture barrier. Is there any kind of, because it seems like the Teflon and that repellent uh, agent product or whatever is massively advertised in our station wear as well. Uh, pants and all that, you know, uh, they're often advertised that, you know, they, they repel everything as well. So is it just as much in that as it is in our turnout gear or is there, uh, is FR clothing better? Uh, there for a while we were doing a big FR study here is wearing FR underneath of uh, turnout gear or underneath as our station wear. Is is any of that better? Y'all are smiling. That makes me absolutely <laughs> freaking terrified. <laughs> I'll, 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 t- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. If you were wearing FR gear and no What? It is, it, is, it is my assumption that the majority of the apartments in the United States are in kind. Or a pot and collie blend type uniform, stationwear. Um, what I can tell you, if it was me and I was that department, is is hold the line for the moment, okay? And there's, I'm 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 trying to be broad because we could really dive into this. This is really our bread and butter and our passion. But um, I'm hopeful that that you guys and your listeners can can try to read in between the lines. We're not quite there yet, but we're going to get there within the year. So I, my my thing is, is if you're in cotton or you're in a cotton poly pant and a cotton shirt, stay there. Stay there for right now. Um, don't try to get cute and and get caught up. View, in view station wear as another level of protection because it is not. Okay, just hold the line for the moment, and our hope is that when we come back and we talk to you guys 
about the research when it gets published, we can expand a little bit more on that as well as expand a little bit more on our solution to that. It sounds like we need to uh, not wear clothes and fight fire naked also. Like, <laughs> yeah. So we just need air conditioning. I'm sure like, that there is a lot of single ladies out there that would probably <laughs> love that. Yeah. If they'll bring air conditioners, then that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, man, this stuff is terrifying, dude. It is. It's, I can think right off the top of my head when we, when we first got in the conversation we were talking about uh, cancer being the leading cause of death in the fire service now, uh, my mind immediately went to, I can think of five right off the top of my head right now uh, that have happened here in our little department. That's not including the ones that are not with our department that I'm aware of as well, but just in our department alone, five diagnoses in the past, I don't know, three or four years, mm-hmm. five years tops. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wild. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts. It's disheartening. It's very disheartening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of those guys are new guys. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the studies say is, I understand the showering and I understand uh, the preventative things that we can do, but is there is there almost a timeline or is it just a little dose of PFAS, you know, it can go a long way, or is it just compounding of time and time and time? This I was going to say, it's, it's, it's not time. the little, it's the compound. It's the compound. And the okay. fact that it's considered a forever chemical, so it just stays. And it's like the lit. more you're exposed to it, it just increases worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah, the more, it, the more and longer you're exposed to it. And when we started diving, when Charlene and I and and our group in Asha started looking at turnout gear, V station wear, right? What are the differences? They're they're massive differences. We look at everything statistically as an exposure over time and how often does it occur. So we're getting a large exposure right, with our turnout gear at at a very short amount of time within a 24-hour period, okay? However, our station wear, we're getting a lower exposure, right? We don't have, we're not showing PFAS at 30% by weight, but we know that it's there, okay? So we have a lower exposure over a longer time, and by time, I'm talking about if, if it's us, then it's, you know, on a 24-hour shift, it's 33% of the year every year for however many years that we've been It's a been third in. of your life. It's a third of your life. And that was the scary part, which is why we really kind of dove into um, the, the stationware side of it because nothing had been done to our knowledge. And, and Diane had done such a fantastic job out the gate of proving years and years and years of of high levels of PFAS and turnout gear all the way back to the 90s. I got a quick question. Um, is there is I, I want my brain wants to tell me this is kind of a dumb question and I should be able to answer it myself. I'll, but I'll let there, you know. there's no dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the is the concentration of PFAS higher in new turnout gear and then it kind of goes down as the lifespan of the turnout gear goes basically that's, what i'm getting that's at absolutely is, correct. yes yep that's okay. absolutely correct so one of the things that we've noted is if if 
somebody, if Department A is in uniforms right now that we know have concentrations of PFAS in them, what our recommendation is, is, again, to hold the line, not do anything. And some of your viewers may be, well, how is that? It's kind of a contradiction because you just said if we're in cotton not to do anything. But you're, that's absolutely correct. So the contradiction comes with the fact that you have UV light degradation and you have washing, right? And that stuff is going to wash out and decrease over time. Okay, so if you're in this stuff right now, we say not to do anything because our hope is to have an actual healthy option within the year. So <laughs> I'm just stick going down a rabbit. I'm just going. You're wearing. Do I? I said stick with the uniforms you're wearing and continue to clean them and, and take care of them appropriately versus putting on new stuff that's going to have higher that's concentrations. That's going to have higher concentrations. Okay, um, so... <laughs> What what is the deal? It seems very counterproductive to have this ten year manufacturer date in it, though that we're supposed to all be applying to. This you know oh, this yeah. lifetime, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's our helmets, it's our hoods, it's our gloves. Everything is supposed to be in this ten year uh, time frame. So I mean, there's there's new turnout gear coming to our station. God, what I mean, at least once a month to be yeah. issued out throughout the department. So. Wash it a couple times before you wear it. Oh, yeah, so, we're, we're encouraged not to wash it. Yeah. <laughs> Say what? So we're encouraged not to wash it. Who, who's uh, encouraging you not to wash it? Admin? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, it's probably a lack of education on what I'm thinking. They say don't wash it because uh, the detergents and stuff that run through our gear washer, even though we have special detergents, um, you know, it, it kind of, we do it so that the gear is not stiff. You know how new turnout gear feels. Mm-hmm. It's not comfortable. Hangers in your clothes. Yep. It's not fun. So, you know, we always wash it to make it not be stiff. So <clears throat> we're told not to do that if we can help it because it's degrading the, degrading the turnout gear itself. Yeah. I was wash taught it. 10 washes. You get 10 washes and then it's, uh, then it's degraded enough that it's no longer good. Your, your look on your face is saying that that's not true. <laughs> well, I do not believe that to be true. I can tell you that before we even put it on, we wash it five times. And I can tell you that um, that I, I personally just got out of a meeting with uh, two manufacturers and Tenkate Fabrics, and we know um, that they have data that says – that every time you wash it, your THL and TPP go up. They increase. So your gear is, at that point, better for protection regarding burns. Because of the expansion of the fibers. Okay. All right. That one threw me for a second. I'm like, how is that even possible? But that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I feel um, I feel a little bit better, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um uh, there's a few of us on the department when we were looking at different manufacturers that had the uh, had the opportunity to test different uh, different gears from different manufacturers. So, mm-hmm. you know, a manufacturer representative will come in, take our measurements and whatnot, and then we would go do you know, a gear trial. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. five or six live burns, and then come back and write this report on it. So, I'm I'm pretty up on it. So after every time I'd burn, I would wash. 
and just, you know, see how the fabric works and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, I feel a little bit better because I still wear my burn gear, that test gear over my department issued stuff. I've got a couple sets of turnout gear still in the bag in my locker. So. Hopefully they're all clean. Yeah. Yeah, we wash our gear. <laughs> yeah, we wash it. All right. So if it's been washed a bunch, that makes me feel better. And if I can wear cotton, um, do it. Yeah. If you wear okay. cotton. Say it again. Yeah, if you can wear if you can wear cotton, do it. Yeah, I okay. like cotton. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, we. we haven't talked about helmets. You you mentioned it. Um, is any of this stuff applicable to the helmet world? Absolutely. Yeah. So we tested the inner suspension uh, of of the helmet on a hunch, and mm-hmm. we found. We found that there was PFAS in the helmet as well in your in your inner suspension system, your ear flaps, and your stuff like that. We we caught it there too, as well. I think it was in the suspension or if it was so, in the flashes. Bas- basically, anything in 1971, that entire garment. We, I mean, I'll tell you straight up, we found PFAS through the entire garment. And a lot of a lot of your stuff now has to be waterproof, whether it's your gloves or your boots or or even your flash head because they're a uh, particulate barrier. Well, the particulate barrier is PFT. Uh, your helmet's getting this stuff sprayed on it as a final application. It's getting the, the DWR spray uh, inside and on your ear flaps. And uh, your gloves have to be waterproof and your boots have to be waterproof. I actually think that they sink boots in water to make sure that it holds that there's no leaks, right? Mm-hmm. So during the manufacturing process, so we know for a fact that it's in those as well. And we have the data as far as testing. Is there any, has there been any talk or any, I don't want to say rebuttal or uh, kickback or counter arguments from NFPA? As, I mean, is are they saying anything yeah. about it? Or? <laughs> so we put in a TIA couple years back and they they denied that it's tia1582 and you can go on uh, a website it's pfasfreeppe.com and you can learn a little bit about it but they they uh they denied the the tia and then they denied when we um when we came back and and tried to get it so they denied it on practicality and then they denied it on the emergency usage so uh so they, the tia never went through so they denied it on the uh, on the emergency, you said they they denied the allocations based on the fact that we it's for emergency use, and that makes no. They it denied okay. they so the emergency usage of a TIA would be the fact that we know that there's a major issue and we're trying to get this stuff removed, like right now. What's so a they TIA? Denied, what? What's a TIA? Uh, temporary interim amendment to okay. NFPA 1971. Yeah. Okay. That's a new so, term. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So we we filed the TIA with NFPA 1971, and they they denied. Um, which so the denial process is basically they hold a big meeting and they vote on it, and um, it it was disheartening to see some of the fire the larger fire service departments that are in the United States that I'm sure all of us look to and look up to certainly we you know tactically and see what they're doing and look at them on YouTube it, 
it was really disheartening to see some of those some of those big time departments voting against this stuff when I mean the data is, has been clear to me it's been clear since I've got in but it's become crystal clear for the last four years sure maybe once there's some studies that are uh, I don't know what the term is like finalized or signed or whatever maybe that TIA can be put back in or just start over I don't I don't know how the process works but I want to have hope for something to happen well I know Diane um, just through conversations over the years with her that her and I have had and, and with Charlene um, we know that she put one in uh, I'm trying to think I believe it was 2017 2018 Diane put one in and um, they rejected hers as well and I and we did one I believe it was 21 20 or 21 and they and they rejected ours so um, we just got to keep pushing got to keep pushing for the right things for the right reasons and uh, our hope is that we'll get there I mean now that now that this is starting to become more more known out social media and the IAFF is, is picked up on it and more articles are coming out and people are, you know, ears are perking up and eyes are starting to open up. I'm hoping that maybe we'll gain some more traction. So the next time it gets submitted, it'll get agreed upon and they'll finally come to the realization that we're right and we're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah, for sure. And that's really what it's about. Like we're not, so <clears throat> we have nobody on staff at ESHA, right? All of anything that we ever take in is directly towards research. Our only objective is, you know, to protect the tradition and the brother and sisterhood of the fire service. Um, we have an amazing group of men and women nationally that do this job, and they're doing it for the right reasons. They're not doing it for personal gain. They're doing it to protect their communities often communities that they grew up in and we don't we don't have a dog in the fight outside of to protect that right to to ensure the most important thing in the fire service certainly as an officer is to make sure that your people go home healthy you know the same and, or better the same or better and make sure that they go home well, that's that's our only objective is to keep ensuring that folks are going home that's it that's it so we we are completely numbers driven, completely research driven. We have no monetary gain in this whatsoever. Everything that we take in goes directly into protecting our communities. Yeah, we're pretty big on motives over here and uh, I'm not getting any icky feelings. Like everything seems like um, you're doing it for the right reason and we appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Oh, well, thank you for having us certainly <laughs> and allowing us to get our research out. I mean. You know, it's it's been a long haul. Um, it's been four years, and um, hopefully, we can get to a point where uh, you, you and I uh, don't have to talk about things that are killing firefighters. You know, that's our that's our ultimate goal. Is you know, let's talk about tactics and strategy. I don't want to talk about what's killing my brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. Talk about jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah, I mean. You know, with 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 technology and some of the stuff coming out, like we need to be talking about jobs. We need to be talking about, you know, lithium ion vehicles and why these electric vehicles are requiring thirty thousand gallons of water to put out, right? Instead of three hundred. Yeah, in, instead of <laughs> instead of why we're dying before we even get to put out the lithium ion vehicle. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you just said that. Uh, the 
the show has been so focused on the PFAS and all the uh, technical terms and all that. It's nice to know that ultimately you want to talk about fire stuff and and put the, the fire stuff we out. all love to do. <laughs> yeah, and good stuff. And you've taken time out of your day to talk about uh, the less pleasant part of it, and you're taking years out of your life to address it and try to make it right. Uh, that feels good to me. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, like I said, I'd hope that we get to a point where we can talk about strategy and tactics and electric vehicles and uh, whatever else is, wh- coming, whatever down else is coming down the pipe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready whether for these. For cyanide after fires and stuff like, you know what I mean? Just, just a lot cooler stuff. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to three to five pound extrication equipment. That's yeah. what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Somebody's going to come out with it. Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, is there? A, can people just go to the Isha site if they choose to and they want to help support uh, what y'all got going on over there? Is that the easiest way? That's the easiest way. Um, there's a link on there where, where folks can donate if they want. They can sign up to get information directly from us as we find out and as we can share. Um, we, we're pretty good at, at keeping that stuff updated. We also have uh, a Facebook page and uh, Twitter as well. So, okay, and it's just Isha for the yeah, yeah. The handles on those. Okay, well, I'll yeah. put all that stuff in the show notes for sure, so people got an easy link to you. Yeah, and we'll yeah. Um, we'll go ahead and send you some of that stuff as well, and anything you guys need as far as documentation, studies, this that, just let us know. We'll send it over. We're gonna. I'm sure. I'm. I'm. I'm sure we'll do some reading uh, on it as well. But you know, the the end goal is for all these studies to be published and for you to come warm one of these seats in our uh, in our studio. And we can have a face to face conversation. Well, absolutely. I, I told you, our, our both Charlene and I's family that we love vacations, and uh, we're we're 23 has been kind of a doozy thus far. So we're hoping that once. Uh, once things calm down and we can kind of get a handle on things that we will be able to make that trip and try to rest and relax and get to meet you guys in person. Yeah, that'll be a pleasure. And we're definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. Sure. yeah absolutely. North Carolina. Nice. Yeah. Come on down and see us. Absolutely. Oh, nice we appreciate y'all's time. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. Uh, thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, you're making a difference whether you realize it or not. Don't think your efforts are wasted. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Do us a favor. Slide over to iTunes or Spotify or YouTube. Leave a five-star review and leave a comment. If you want to, you want to support further, share it with somebody. Ask them to like, subscribe, and share it with their friends. If they can benefit from it, we need to spread it out. The more you like and comment, the more visible we are on all these platforms when people are just searching Firefighter Podcast. It'll come up primary complete a little bit quicker, and they won't have to dig quite so far to find us. We really appreciate that. Visit the website. It's a pretty good site. It's got all kinds of fun links and stuff. You can also find the shows there on the website as well, and that's www.primarycompletepodcast.com. Thank you all so much for your support. Again, we love you. Thank you for helping us make conversation great again.